Pastor John, here's today's question. Hello, Pastor John. My name is Jennifer, and I live on Long Island. I have a question about complementarianism. It is something I've struggled with for a long time, and it is something I need to have worked out before even considering a relationship or marriage in the future. I know the Bible clearly states that men and women are equal in their standing before God as far as salvation. But in all other areas of life, I still struggle with the feelings of inferiority because of certain comparisons used in the Bible. For example, regarding submission, the Bible says that the servant is not greater than his master and wives are called to submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ. However, servants are not equal to their masters and the church is not equal in worth to Christ. In almost every area of life, those in positions of authority are considered more valuable than those under that authority. Just like the president is more valuable than the secret service men, and in businesses, managers are more valued than the workers under them. And throughout history, women have always been treated as less valuable than men. In light of these things, I greatly struggle with feeling inferior in worth to men. Is there something that you might be able to see that I am missing as I read through Scripture? Thank you. I want to tackle the two particular kinds of texts that trouble Jennifer in just a moment. But first, let me venture a general statement about female superiority and inferiority and male superiority and inferiority in relationship to each other. I think most of the time we are so eager to say the appropriate thing about equality that we overlook the obvious inequalities that exist between men and women. So, how should we speak about these? I'm thinking of things like, um, in general, men are physically stronger, so that in the Olympics, uh, in most events, men and women don't compete with each other. Um, or things like uh, women being superior at singing soprano or bearing children or nursing children. And my guess is, if objectivity were possible— in the research, which in our politically correct day, I don't think it is, but if objectivity were possible in the research, there would be countless studies about nuanced psychological, verbal, analytical, synthetic, emotional differences between men and women in general that in some areas would give woman the edge and in other areas would give man the edge. I think those those studies probably have been done and buried because uh, they, they would be offensive, perhaps. I don't know. But that's my opinion. So here's my theological bottom line on this matter. If God were to make a list of female superiorities and inferiorities and a list of male superiorities and inferiorities, and if God were to attach to each of these a relative value in his whole scheme of things, the sum of the pluses and minuses at the bottom of each column would be equal. Now, I can't prove that, and I don't think anybody can disprove that. I infer it from one, Male and female are both created in the image of God. Two, both are fellow heirs of the grace of life. Three, both are given an indispensable role in the achievement of God's ultimate purposes. Four, Paul seems to be thinking this way in 1 Corinthians 11, 11, and 12 when he says, In the Lord, woman is not independent of man, 
nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. So he, he seems to be bent on affirming difference and affirming that with every difference, there is a kind of counterpoint of indispensability. Now, I hope that one of the effects all those thoughts have on Jennifer and others who who struggle with the same thing she's feeling is that she wouldn't have to be artificial in her thinking about male and female differences in order to believe in profound, ultimate, overall, God-designed equality. It's, It's not a simple thing like insisting that women are as good at everything as men are, or men are as good at everything as women are. They're not. Neither man is, nor woman is. Jennifer mentions two texts that have really troubled her, and I I think I get it, and so let me try to help. Two times, this is one, one kind of text, but two instances, Jesus says, John 13, 16, and John 15, 20, a servant is not greater than his master. And since servants are to be submissive to masters and wives to husbands, this makes Jennifer feel inferior or less great. A servant is not not as great as the master. But notice two things. One, servants may indeed be greater than their masters in many ways. They may be stronger, more intelligent, wiser, kinder, more industrious. And Jesus knew that as well as we do. The other thing to notice is that in the context, Jesus' point in both those passages is not to comment on the absence of a servant's equality, but the absence of the servant's superiority. Another, in, in the first case, he did this, he, he emphasizes this to stress that the servant should do the same kind of foot washing that Jesus did. And in the second case, to stress that the servant should expect the same persecution that Jesus did. So the point, surprisingly, is to stress the equality of the service to be rendered and the equality of the persecution to be experienced. Not that slaves are in every way, or in some overall way, inferior to masters. The second text that troubles Jennifer is the comparison between marriage and the relationship between Christ and the church. Wives are to submit to husbands as the church does to Christ, Ephesians 5. But, she observes rightly, The church is not equal in worth to Christ. Now, what what I would ask Jennifer to consider here is whether the point of comparison between Christ and the church, on the one hand, and husband and wife, on the other hand, whether the point of comparison is the degree of inferiority or superiority. Is that the point? Clearly, Christ is sinless, and the church is sinful. Is that the point of comparison? Husband sinless, wife sinful? Clearly, Christ is infinite and eternal, 
and the husband is finite, and, and I mean the church is, is finite and, and temporal. Is that the point of comparison? Husband's infinite, wives finite. We have to be so careful with analogies or comparisons, lest we assume a point of comparison that is not the point of comparison that is being shown. Now, I would say, this is my venture to try to understand, I would say that the point of the comparison between Christ and the church here and husband and wife here is that owing to creation— and God's design for it, Genesis 2.24, is cited right here in Ephesians 5.31. Owing to God's design in creation, the point of comparison is that godly, mature manhood and womanhood are of such a nature that they both experience a sense of fitness and suitableness and appropriateness in the roles of manhood as humble leadership and protection and provision, and womanhood as gladly affirming that leadership and partnering with a man in the use of her gifts to carry it through. And whether that fitness, whether that fitness lies in some overall superiority or inferiority need not be implied in this text about husbands and wives. I don't think it is implied. So, I pray that God would give to Jennifer and many, I'm sure, who feel what she feels, a wonderful sense of peace in who she is in Christ with all the glorious things that in Christ implies for his care and her value and her inheritance. And I pray that she would find the teaching of the Bible on manhood and womanhood liberating and satisfying rather than troubling. Yes, amen. Thank you, Pastor John, for this answer and for explaining complementarity for decades and uh, now to a new generation of young Christians who are now thinking through these issues with an eye towards marriage compatibility and uh, who want to know how we can honor God in our homes and churches without simply following the intuition so often cultivated by the prevailing winds of the age in which we live. I appreciate that, Pastor John. And with that, the week has come to a close on Monday. We're going to look at Romans 8. Specifically, what does it mean that God God will glorify us? What in the world does that mean? You've been listening to the Ask Pastor John podcast, a longtime author and Pastor John Piper. You can find our audio feeds and you can find our archive of old episodes all at our online home at desiringgod.org forward slash Ask Pastor John. I'm your host, Tony Ranke. Have a great weekend.